Oh yeah. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so this is a uh, podcast six, uh, which is actually eight w- uh, week eight of teaching, um, and uh, it's me, Majid, again. And uh, today the the topic will be on the state as a developer in the twenty first century. And um, we have uh, as a key speaker um, Blackson, who's uh, kindly agreed to do this. And then, and alongside me, I have Tara. I'm Okay, so um, I will uh, let Blackson start in a second, um, and uh, ju- just explain the format. Uh, we will we will have a um, a discussion. Well, the uh, the the lecture from Blackson, and then after that we'll open it up and then get everyone else's opinion on the topic as well. Okay, so hello everyone. Um, basically, the state as a developer. The way I was looking at it, that was looking at it from the developed states, that how they redistribute and that. that conflict between uh, economic growth and redistribution in these countries because they are the ones that push development in the global south. So I was looking at like um, representations of global south communities in, in these countries. I was particularly looking at London, like the people that um, live in inner city London that know that that represent these um, sorry, that represent these um, ethnic communities and the working class especially like people on um, housing estate agencies that um, that got the provisions from the welfare state. Basically, I was looking at that, the red regentrification of London, and I was seeing the conflict of interest between like the private sectors, like the, the private um, land owned, um, the private sectors, like the estate agents, the people that are developing um, buildings and stuff like that, and the what the government was saying that um, regentrification is going to provide for the people, like empowering the people, better homes, affordable homes, and um, I think they said like better communities or mixed communities, which I don't quite understand what that means. So when you look at it, what's been going on for the the last 10 years, a lot of these um, housing estate, um, a lot of these um, areas, like with um, estates and stuff like that, with and been gained and we um, knocked down. But in the Greater London Authority, like um, their policy, they were saying that for them to be to do gentrification in the area, they, they're going to do like a ballot thing where they ask the people on their states or in these communities, do you want us to do this? And so far, if you look at, um, I think is it the Owlsbury Estate, they had a ballot and they said no to um development, but they still have managed to um, develop the area. And if you look at London, like it's a very populated area, so land is scarce. It's a um, commodity. It's a commodity. Mm. And what I'm seeing with like um, the state intervention in like um, developing these areas is that you know they they the economic growth is there. They develop the areas, but they don't develop the communities, the community networks in these communities that made the area or that made an emotional connection with the people that live there, they don't develop them. Like, if you look at Brixton, for instance, you're seeing a lot of um, bars, a lot of um, these trendy hipster things that the local community, they can't really, like, appreciate or relate to. And if you look at, like, what that does, the local businesses that the people could, that they use, and the people outside could come in and purchase stuff that they can't really get are now being priced off being able to compete with these new um, the new businesses that are coming in. So for me, I see the um 
the state um it's not partial to um achieving social development which is a problem there's no accountability like if you look at these councillors that the people elect like for Lambeth, Southwark and they promise these things a lot of them or not a lot of them but some of them are now training these um private um things private state agents and private sectors after they've been after they make the deals with them to in, um allow um gentrification to happen and when these private um private sector people purchase the land there's going to that brings in like maintenance maintenance on companies and other things that the people they can't control they can't hold them accountable like if you talk about maintenance just how much is the maintenance cost going to change from now to then so really and truly these people won't be able to um afford living in these areas which for me is it's problematic when you think about development how these people are pushing it in the global south but they can't even look after the global south population in there like most people now if you um are being pushed out outside into like outside London and these other areas and now London is becoming a place where I think in the next for me I can see becoming a super rich area only the rich can afford it and I was listening to um Pierce Pierce Corbin and he was talking about that really and truly was pushing this drive for regentrification is that the rich and the least they can use this to um it's form about money laundering and stuff like that when you think about like the properties that um people like um the saudis and these rich people own in london but they don't use it you can kind of see that like, what he means and and think about um is it president power um the nigerian president mm. when he came here one time and they was talking about corruption to him but he was saying that a lot of corrupt money that's corrupted or that's that is um used for corruption in nigeria ends up in london in these places so for me i don't know development i'm um, the state as a developer without accountability from the people is just this the private people just come in and take over and just focus on economic growth than actual development of areas that's what um i got from the readings thanks for that actually that's quite interesting so basically you know you've taken the idea of development and kind of applied it back into yeah. this community into london as almost as a, a microcosm yeah, of development because on the on the reading they're saying that the new um these states or these um developing countries mm. they they the historical structure of these institutions is basically based from like colonialism mm. and these yeah. which are all western things so i look at like if you really want to see like how or what's going to happen next in the developing world you can kind of have you can kind of look into what's going on in here to kind of understand like how it's going to be implemented into the global south actually that's 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 very interesting that that's, that kind of it it goes back to something that francisco um mentioned in the in the, le- in the lecture last week i think he he was talking about kind of almost like uh, the 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 neo liberal agenda kind of um it's kind of failing in the west now as well where like even though there's economic growth but internally the the communities are kind of not benefiting and it's like and it's almost like a sign of what could happen in the developing countries where the same agendas were pushed and the kind of these western ideals of democracy and um neoliberal economics were trying to be pushed upon so it's almost like you can look at here what's happening here and this could be an example of what's going to happen there if we carry on in the same direction 
in the sense of the cultural aspect of it, like when you're eradicating all these things that are different that people can have an association with, like for me, I was born in Africa, I came here like half my life, spent half my life in Zimbabwe, half my life here, like when I came here, I lived in an affluent area, like it was gated communities and stuff like that, but when I came, it's like I wanted to experience like seeing something like where I can relate, there wasn't a lot of like coloured people and stuff like that, so for me that was an outlet going to these places like to see like the same type of people as me and just to get that, I don't know, that type of connection with an mm. area where it's just like in these affluent areas, you don't really get that community spirit. There's no like, um, everyone's just out for them. They're just doing their own thing. They come home, they do their own thing. But in in, in these communities, they, they actually look out for, it, for each other from what I, I've experienced. So when they're starting to take that away, it's just like, it's just going to be like the same thing everywhere, like mm. the same society. And if you look at it, that's that globalization. If this can happen here, maybe they're going to try and implement it everywhere else at the point where everything's just the same. It's just... Yeah, I guess it's um, a really good model for how... for Not necessarily for how the world can go by, but it's a particular model for in this country, like in Bristol. Basically, in there's an area called Stoutscroft and St. Paul's in Eastern, which is traditionally when the Windrush generation came over, there was a lot of immigrants lived there, like... They, the the white middle classes had left the city and moved out of it during the war because everything was destroyed. Now they moved into the these like quite impoverished areas, these immigrants, and helped to rebuild. They they helped to staff the NHS. They helped to rebuild the country, and they are now being forced out. However, in just in Scotland, not so much in Saint Paul's and Eastern, which which is still quite. How would you say? Um, in terms of their communities, they're quite one of, like Saint Paul's and Eastern. Tend to be quite a, like they're very they're very mixed, but mainly of uh, black and ethnic minority groups. Whereas Saint uh, not Saint Paul's Stokescroft is more more diverse, but it's more like quite young Bohemian people. But they they reject neoliberalism. Like it's all about independent shops. It's like they, if you'd have seen when they tried putting a Tesco there, like the outrage, like there's still a mural on the wall. It's like a war that there's a mural on the wall against this Tesco that is that which everyone boycotts and one it's a wonder that it's actually so much. But they they have rejected this and fought back in their own way, and that is to independentize those and to sort of become small similar to like the theme of what I let you say, entrepreneurs from below. They've become entrepreneurs from below. They've said, No, we will not have your your neoliberal rubbish forced upon us and we will not have it change our community you want to gentrify us we will not we will not allow it we we will resist and and it's a very it's a thriving community like it, it is the heart of bristol and that it is almost a model for how we can challenge uh the sort of traditional concept of development and Unfortunately, the experiences of a lot of countries that have been through development of corrupt elites, programs that are that look good in theory but in practice are just absolutely chaotic. And but you but there needs to be, I suppose, you need to have a a situation where that would work. You need to put. You need to set the foundations. But I think the state is important because the state can set the foundations 
for those people to become entrepreneurs from below, for those people to have these small businesses and for people to get on and for people to actually live decent lives where everyone can contribute and everyone can benefit. Unlike where we currently have it, where people have been forced out of the areas that they've lived in for their entire lives. And they voted against having a regenerated. Oh, um, but then what was the, what did they say back to them? You know, so when they say, actually, so we're still going to do it, what was the reply back? That's the thing with a lot of these people, they're saying that they're, they've been voiced out, like when they go to that um community even like community um, community space where they can gather yeah. like libraries and they've been shut down to prevent them from being able to come together and like yeah. make a stand like um they were saying central hill estate in crystal palace yeah. the council can use the council hall to have their meetings but the people that live there they can't do that they can't come here they can't come, come they can't come there to meet up yeah. and maybe find a way they can all come together and protest against what's going on. And a lot of these places, like the, li the libraries, they're being closed and they're putting in gyms. The people there, they're not going to go to the gyms. If you think about like these um, communities, they go, you can go to the library, you can, you can use the computer, like to job search, take out books, if you're cold, whatever, like it actually has a function within the community. Like these gyms, no one's going to really use them. And a lot of libraries are linked to community centers. Yeah. So that that uh, like they they are, the project of neoliberalism is about destroying community. Yeah, it's all about sharp elbows, and no, you're not going to get in my way. And that is where I think we've lost our way. Like look, look so like building on that point, I know it's slightly different. Look at Grenfell. Like yeah, they, that, that council are their elected representatives, and whether they're from the same party that they vote for, they are still their representatives, and they have been neglected and ignored and what and brushed under the carpet because they don't matter mm -hmm. and that unfortunately is is what the system has come to be and that makes it very hard for people to trust the state as a developer i think but but i i believe that the state is the only I body that, that can too. that can act in the interest of people there really. has to be accountability like, i listened to ts wolf from ts corbyn and he was saying that a lot of these like when like the mayoral, mayoral elections and the council elections, they need to ask them, do you believe in the ballot? Like, because he was, he was making the link between like people voting, no, we don't want this, and them still doing it. They were saying, well, if we're electing you, we need to know, do you believe like in the ballot? If, if, you, if we come to you and say, we don't want this, are you going to respect our, um, our choices? And I think before people elect them, they have to like kind of make them try, put something in there that, people to um, to account for if they lie to people they have to be held accountable otherwise the state like can be taken over by people that are pursuing kind of private interests actually not to you, I just want to because I'm just thinking about what, you, what we're talking about here obviously we're talking about almost like the side effects of neoliberal kind of policies or what I want to say is like is that a side effect or is that an intended outcome would you say from from what you observe in terms of how because obviously the idea is uh, wealth creation and economic growth, but those kind of things that don't equate with social equality and kind of. Um, um, I would say for me, it might be it might be a side effect of like the neoliberal project. If you look at like um, when they said that um, the British Empire died or it was it collapsed, then they were saying that elites in this country. I think have you all heard of is it London Corporation? Like London the city of London yeah. is run yeah. by a corporation, but yeah. it's on private courts. 
private police. Mm. It's got um, a per- an elected person that goes into the House of Commons. I think they said it's the Remembrance, and they're there to report back onto what's going on in the House of Commons to the London Corporation. The London Corporation, I think, is they were saying that um, the mayor they elect the mayor um, for the city of London, and the, there's like um, the, one of the oldest traditions. They um, one of the oldest traditions of Commonwealth called that. They still carry out these practices. And the corporation, I think they were saying it was based on the people that um, financed their money to the um, Cayman Islands after the um, collapse of empire. And that a lot of that money is the one that's used in the international like um, aid and stuff like that. So there's a clear link between, like um, for me, the private interests of people and policy, um, shaping policy for their benefits. So for me, like it's a is a result for me for um of um the neoliberal project. Anyone else want to add anything to that? I was just going to say also with like the like development and like as in as in developers coming into communities and like mm. destroying people's homes and then like building all these like flats and changing like the nature of the community. Like the the state currently in some ways outsources that now to mm. so like local councils so even like you mentioned with Grenfell like a lot of that like they were outsourcing yeah. the management of buildings to private enterprise and that's also part of like that issue where like the state no longer has control like even with like leisure centers and like libraries all of that is being outsourced it's not being run as a service it's, it's being run as, as, as a, a profit making business exactly. and that is yeah. the issue and that's where that disconnect happens between what your conception of like the state being the, yeah. like that vinyl part, like that's where it, like it stops and it breaks, right? Um, which is and I, I think to a certain extent, the the link between the state and the people has been broken. Yeah, and they they sort of I don't want to describe them as an elite because like this this sort of controlling class have have put themselves in the gap between. And so now the actual mechanisms of the state that could be used, they cannot be reached. There's a ceiling and no matter what work, work the working class is made in, they cannot break through the ceiling to get to the mechanisms they need to actually share this part. And it's, it's why I think that a lot of the establishment view Jeremy Corbyn as, as, as an existential threat to them yeah. because he he wants to tear that ceiling down and actually reconnect people with it. Yeah. And I don't think that... It annoys me when they describe him as a populist leader because I don't think he is a populist no, leader. Yeah. Yeah. He's by no means like a radical. Like, like I would go far further than he would. Like, it, it, his his idea of social democracy is very much a, a Scandinavian model. Like, if you look at the policy he wants to put in place, you could even say some of his policies have been put in place in places like Germany, which you wouldn't describe as really truly socially democratic. But they they're afraid of breaking this status quo. Like, conservatism by its own nature means to conserve, to stay the same. And I think part of the issue is that, that people like Tony Blair represented, claimed to be something that they were not. And now they, 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 it is truly broken, the the connection between the state and the people and the belief in the people that the state can be their protector. And I think that will happen in in developing countries in the global south 
as well I think a lot of people realise that anyway that that connection's not not there because there isn't very big there isn't a strong state in many of these yeah, countries to yeah to, to provide for these people very well established yeah. in some cases so like the states are a lot younger and uh, I mean yeah again from your from oh, that's just from perception you know like I don't know yeah. I think that's my judgment of that they are younger but really are they younger well in, you in, know in what I mean reading, yeah but, does that make sense? No, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Because in, in the reading, like he talks about the three different types of state, but also in the way that some of them, because they, they've they had to build this state, the state isn't a natural yeah, exactly. Ours is more rooted in sort of like the ideas of Greece and that and, and the yeah. democracy, like a very yeah. Western Enlightenment concept. Whereas in the global South, that, that doesn't really, they don't have that. They have, and the, their states were built differently. Like their society was built differently. Like they're far more community based. Yeah. And what what I fear is the development in some ways seeks to destroy that community, yeah. and that is that is a negative. Like that is a strongly negative thing. I'm talking about this uh, this buffer that you mentioned also the the link between states and people and disjointed. Um, and, and you know, in the in the lecture today, there was a mention of. Um, Public-private partnerships, for example, and we say projects like that are creating the buffer because mm-hmm. obviously there's public money invested and there are private money invested. So, public money, the representatives represent the people, uh, but then obviously the public, uh, the private companies coming in and obviously having a lot of influence in what happens with this money. And again, that the people aren't involved in the in the conversation anymore. So, do you think it's, it's those kind of projects and? That are creating the buffer. You, we have our, we have a, as in a democracy, we vote for someone and they are accountable to us. And if they make a decision that we think isn't in our best interest, we mm. tell them. But once you outsource that, those decisions to a private company, then you no longer have that. Mm like protective or your own like power oh, yeah. to be able to say that's a problem. Look at like development in the global south, that's always been the problem. Like all these structural adjustments have been that felt officer. No one's been held accountable. Like they come, they implement it, it doesn't work. They go come back with something else. It's just like when you're just repeating the same thing that like, until you can actually like hold people accountable. It, it, they don't have a reason to try and actually provide halfway some of the stuff they said they do. And a lot of the knowledge that, that these theories and these ideas are based on, it, this knowledge is produced in the very in, in the same institutions and with are based on the same economic ideology, on the same political ideology. Like they, neoliberalism is so dominant that that you struggle to you you're not allowed to have a different a different way. Like you're not allowed to have an alternative because their way is is the right way, and if you look at sort of like the concept of like nationalisation of industry, now they privatised and sold off everything they could, and now we're now we're reaping well the the ill-gotten rewards because we have got an rail industry that is chaotic, like that does not work. You go to other countries where they have a nationalised rail industry. They they function on a far better level than ours does. Like water, energy, 
and energy they, is pretty much a racket. Like I, I know that that Muammar Gaddafi did some horrendous things in in Libya, but I don't think it's a surprise that when he started not allowing everyone at free electricity and thing, that that's when they decided to step in because he challenged. He had an alternative development model, and that model contravened what was the established model. And 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 I'm not saying I'm not going down. It's not a conspiracy theory. Like that is not the sole reason that he, that people in that people interfered in Libya because some horrendous things were going on. But you need to look at why why was that model not allowed to continue afterwards? If it's what the Libyan people wanted and what. I think that that goes on to kind of like uh, looking at the, obviously we we got because at the moment we're just discussing the state as, as a developer and how important it is, or how detrimental it can be as well. Um, so obviously, because I know next week's lecture is going to be um, kind of the state and beyond kind of thing. So, are we suggesting that there could be like I, I'm not expecting any answers here, but just from what we've kind of understood and what we understand as individuals. Do you think there is a potential for a model beyond the state? I don't know. A model beyond the state. Yeah, because obviously uh, anarchism is is a potential model around that where it's not a centralized state. Um, Do you say the Ottoman Empire was a state? I think Ottoman Empire kind of reflects on, or I don't know, they did have a central. Central mm-hmm. power source, didn't it? Yeah, but it didn't function in the in the same way it's as the nation state does. Yeah, because you had like different groups of religions. Just, it was allowed to do what, what they wanted. Yeah, within the same empire. Yeah, because yeah, so. there were so many different. Yeah, it, it ranged all the way from Turkey to the Balkans to even what like and a, and a huge range of beliefs and different ethnicities. And it worked. It was, I think it worked for them for for a while. Yeah, it, it functioned. So that. That could be on going back and looking at that. Yeah, that's closer to like a federal state almost. That's well, the I, thing I think about. I think we'll move towards a more metro- metropolis-based system, whereby you will have like almost city-states, not going back to like full-on Itali- Italy, like classical sort of the, the papal states and the city-states and all that, but that it will be more metrop- metropolises and metropol- met- metropolitan areas that they function as a sort of body of different areas. Sorry. Like, of different... You'd have different... Within what, what was traditionally a country, yeah. but they will be given more scope to sort of manage their own dealings. Because you look at... If you look at councils now, I know Bristol... They're, they've been to China to try and seek investment in their, in the city, which seems strange. Why would you not go to your own government for investment <laughs> in the city? But <laughs> well, it, it, so is that is that is that moving away from the state as a, as a developer then? Potentially, and your 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 city, your metropolis will will be the will be the developer, and it will be very much. It will come. It will gradually become more of a. On it potentially it's easier to develop a city or a metropolis than it is to develop an entire country. Yeah, because uh, when the, when the Brexit referendum first happened, I don't know if you guys remember, they were the speaker that London kind of was separated yeah. from the rest of the UK, and this is obviously more for economic and um, reasons. So that 
I guess that could be a potential model where cities like London kind of take take their kind of dealings away from the government and start um, working kind of independently with other cities and other. But you also think what I drew from it was because Bristol was very also very pro-Remain. I think almost because they're very multicultural, very multi-ethnic, very very accepting places. They're far more accommodating of the other. A lot of people played on people's fears of the other in that yeah. referendum, and a lot of, a lot of politics is done on making people fear what what is to perceive as something different to you. And I think within metropolises, within cities, people coexist. People get to know your neighbour could be your neighbour might be whatever, and you don't you wouldn't see that because they're your neighbour at the end of the day. They the live next to you. Yeah, exactly. Which is what's missing within these development yeah. well, experience of actually knowing the area of getting what the people around you are like. And going back to what you said about community as well. Look, I think community is a massive point. Look, development must not damage the community because yeah. the community is what is what holds everything together. Yeah. And I think too many times we've allowed development to to destroy community. And to destroy what is already there. Like, look, it's quite frightening where where Brazil could go in the next four years with Jair Bolsonaro because if they start attacking the Amazon, like that's that's gonna that's gonna harm all of us. But you, we also need to bear in mind though that you can't have built an entire ideology on the back of capitalist growth which is which has raped the planet effectively and then go well no the rules have changed now so you can't do that actually it's interesting you mentioned brazil because i think uh because uh, renan who's uh, from brazil he was uh, our first key speaker and he spoke about it was just before the just as the election was happening mm-hmm. so he spoke about the potential of um bolsonaro actually winning the elections which he did eventually so it'd be interesting to bring renan back and see what's happened since obviously it's still fairly recent Maybe we just see what's happening internally since the kind of elections. Because um, I don't know if when they take office, I don't know if they take it immediately or if they have like a sort of transition transitional period. period. Yeah, we do, don't we? We have a bit of a transitional period. Well, in America, uh, America, you with the elections that start in November and then you don't get till January the first. So maybe that might be the same in Brazil. Okay. So. So maybe we can wait until January to bring him back. Um, <laughs> See what he says to say. Yeah, and then uh, so yeah, for for the listeners, um, you know, just hang in there because we've got more coming for you. Yeah, I think it's always nice to bring in a reoccurring theme or follow up on a particular story. I think hopefully that's interesting enough for people to come back and tune in. And and then I'm I'm thinking actually, um, I don't mind mentioning it here because I think uh, I'm thinking about we could make this thing go live as well. So live podcast. So that could be an interesting experiment for us next time. How does everyone feel about that? Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, so any, any last uh, uh, last words from everyone, everyone on uh, development and, and the state as a as an as an actor? Who wants to go first? Because I'll, I'll summarize at the end, so I'll just nick your words. Yeah, just maybe the the state. The state as we as we know it will, has to change, will change mm. in an, in, a, in any new concept of development. It should be done on in smaller scale and 
not on a, like in more more confined areas which you can then assess whether they're successful or not and not just to assess everything via economics yeah. i i know that economic growth is is important for development but it is not the be all and end all and it is not the sole purpose of development like not everything should be judged by its monetary value and unfortunately too much of the world is judged on that well, it's interesting that what um, Francisco was talking about America being like, it's, uh, in terms of growth, economic growth and prosperity, it's never been better, and it's and and, it, and it's doing well now, uh, that you know, better now than it ever has. But still, they've still got to make it great again. Yeah, yeah, they got to make it great, and internally things are crumbling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Societal wise, it's crumbling. So actually, I, I do want to ask you, Tara. So, what do you believe in terms of um, the state? As a developer, do you feel like it's got a key role to play in shaping the, the world of tomorrow, so to speak, and um, moving away from the neoliberal agendas? What do you think? It does have a key role to play, but I think that in the current sort of situation that we find ourselves in, that's potentially not, it's not viable and it's not sustainable. So... There needs to be like a, a reassessing or a different way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just finish off on on, on uh, with Blackson. Um, since you uh, did the key speech, how would you want to wrap it up in terms of the, uh, the state as a um, as an actor for development? I would say actor. Um, the state can be um, an actor for development, but there has to be constraints on and of our magical accountability. Otherwise, for me. Nothing will change. People just pursue their own private interests and nothing's going to change. The people at the bottom are the ones that's just going to suffer the most because they don't have the power or the voice to be able to um, to say and to stop to put a stop to it. And it goes to what the guy said in the um, readings. Like we have to look at power, like wealth, as a as a different way of measuring power. So for me, the state can be an important actor in development, but it has to be accountability. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, everyone. So just uh, just to quickly summarise, uh, basically, as everyone said, we kind of do agree that the state does have a, a huge role to play. But I think um, in terms of how and um, how it's kept in check and and who, who uh, that's very important. And going forward, I think um, the, the state's always going to play a huge role, but we do need to find ways of kind of managing their responsibilities and powers. So thank you very much, everyone. And for another week, we'll say farewell. So bye. Thank you. Bye. See you later.